Our scripture is Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, and that's page 1527 in the Bench Bibles. Our text, as we continue in the Lord's Prayer, is forgive us our debts, Matthew's language, which Jews understood, and we do, or forgive us our sins, which Luke used, because his audience would understand the word sins better. Forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive those who have a debt of sin against us. And reading from Matthew 18 now, beginning at verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. These are the very words of God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we'll look not at those words directly today, but at a parable that illustrates, explains, and helps us supply those words. Matthew 18, then... In verses 21 and 22, Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? This translation, by the way, is right, 70 times 7. Some commentators call Jesus' answer hyperbole. Maybe so, as long as a hyperbole doesn't uh, uh, 
make the scripture meaningless. What Jesus is saying here, no matter how you interpret it, is, Peter, you think you have to forgive someone once or maybe a little more than that. I'll tell you, when it comes to your brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, you have to forgive an awfully lot if they sin against you, an awfully lot and ask for forgiveness, an awfully lot. Then you have to forgive much. And to illustrate this parable, we'll go through it. The parable has two parts. The first is God's forgiveness toward his people, and the second is God's expectation that his people will be forgiving people. So we'll go through it a bit quickly, and I'll make some applications after each part of the parable. Matthew then 18, beginning at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus spoke often of kingdom more than church. Kingdom is God's rule in our hearts, in our lives, that extends out into our communities, into our nations, and worldwide. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who, in this case, stands for God, who wanted to settle his accounts. God is a just God, And the books have to balance in the end, and indeed they will at Judgment Day. To settle his accounts with his servants, servants in this case as Christians, I think. I'll tell you why I mentioned that later. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, and you got a footnote there, (laughs) millions of dollars. Here's what one commentator says that the number 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek language at the time, and talents was the largest unit of money. Now, I can't personally verify that, and some minister's stories aren't accurate, as you find on Snopes these days, but that's what the commentary says. So what we have here is the biggest currency number, like... uh, We have millions and trillions of dollars, billions, you know. Uh, The biggest number and the biggest unit of currency. In other words, the debt to God that we have is as big as any debt can possibly be. That's the meaning of the 10,000 talents. Now, verse 25, since he was not able to pay, talk about understatement. I mean, that's worse than having to pay off the whole United States debt. The master ordered he and his wife and children and all he had to be sold to repay the debt. That was normal in those days, sold into uh, servitude. So if that sounds different than it might happen today in our time of going bankrupt, we simply have the way it was then. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, (laughs) and I'll pay back everything. I can't help a little parenthesis here. What a genius parable teller Jesus is. We may have hyperbole, exaggeration in Peter's question, but we sure get a good answer. And now we've got a 
illustration or story with contrast to make a lot of points. God, a huge debt, and now here, something ludicrous. <laughs> this isn't hyperbole, this is a impossibility and ludicrous statement. I'll pay back everything. That man couldn't even begin to pay the interest on the debt. That's like you walking into the city office tomorrow and saying, well, I'm here to pay the whole United States debt <laughs> and everyone's taxes in Illinois. Sure, sure, sure. I'll pay back everything, he says. And then verse 27, notice that the master takes pity. He doesn't say a little more time. Takes pity and does what? Cancels the debt and lets him go. Now, not every... A uh, parable can have everything in it, but there's a sign up here in the pulpit, Sir, we would see Jesus, and I like that. I was challenged with that when I entered the ministry years ago. Guess Japan needs to see Jesus. God can cancel the debt of this man's sin and ours because God placed that sin debt on Jesus who died on the cross, not to give us more time to repay God, not to make our flawed works acceptable in God's sight, but because God is a God of pity on sinners, and Jesus is the means through which the God of pity and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ comes to us. God took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. That's the first part of the parable. Now, a few points of quick application here. The first is we sin. <laughs> Truism. We sin against God very often, very much, very seriously, and we have to know that. I remember reading years ago a Charles Spurgeon story. He had a member who wanted to demonstrate her piety, so she went up to him one day after church, and with sighs, she said she was the greatest of all sinners, worse than Paul, not worthy to be a Christian, and on and on. Spurgeon was bored. <laughs> he said to her, you don't need to tell me that, madam, because I knew it already. Other people have told me what a big sinner you are. And then her anger flared up. And how does anybody dare gossip about me like that? See? <laughs> A little bit of hypocrisy there and insincerity. Um, we too, the parable is saying, are big sinners. And then second, we need forgiveness. We don't need God to be more patient. We can't pay for our own sin with our efforts sincerity, or anything else, and we can't work off our sin with good works or whatever. We need forgiveness. Big sinners need forgiveness. Third, ask God to forgive us. Hope that the parable makes more meaningful the prayer, the petition, and forgive us our sins. 
And then four, receive forgiveness. You're not too big a sinner for God. You're not too bad for God. Actually, not too many people these days worry about being a big sinner or too bad for God. They did 40, 50 years ago when I began ministry more. Some people won't come to communion because they were such big sinners in their opinion, and their sin was so large God couldn't possibly forgive. No, you're not too bad for God if anyone here is in that category. The bigger problem today is those who think they're too good for God's forgiveness, isn't it? Any of you don't think you need to have sin forgiven. Sorry, folks, you're actually in a very bad state. I'd almost rather have you think you're too big a sinner for God to forgive than too small a sinner who needs forgiveness. Where a lot of people are today. So, third is ask God to forgive. Fourth is be forgiven. I think of, in connection with this parable, the deepest spot in the ocean. There's a Bible text. It's in Micah 7, verse 19. God will put our iniquities, hurl them, into the depths of the sea. Now, I'm fascinated with facts about the earth, highest mountain, longest river, deepest sea. The deepest part of the sea in the United States is in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, about 124 miles east of the Mariana Islands, which are east of the Philippines and east of Japan. Um, and the ocean there is incredibly deep. They're actually still having trouble measuring it, but the best measurements right now are about 11,000 meters or 36,201 feet deep. By way of understanding that, think of Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world, and if Everest were dropped into the Mariana Trench, still be about a thousand feet above the top of Everest and the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Um, and God, the prophet Micah says, by way of a picture of how big his forgiveness of our 10,000 talents debt is, dumps it into the depths of the sea. That's the first part of the parable. And then there's the second part of the parable, total contrast with the first part. Let's go through it and then note some applications. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Servant, by the way, or slave was not a bad or negative word in Bible times. It was like employee today. A lot of people wanted to be servants rather than um, bosses. Just understand that. In the Bible, servant doesn't mean slave like in the U.S. South. Enough on that subject. It's a bit of a side point. Found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. And now you got that footnote. A few dollars. In the New Testament times, the Jews typically worked for a denarius a day one day's 
pay for the average person. In fact, Jesus told a parable about that where someone was given a denarius for part of a day's payment. But the typical was a day, a denarius. So, we have an amount a working man could earn in a day here, a very small thing compared to 10,000 talents. I suppose a newspaper route, you could make it with enough months of delivering newspapers and so on, but uh, not a very big amount. And here the footnote calls it a few dollars. Okay. And now you get the contrast. It doesn't take long to recognize there's something wrong here. Verse 28b, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Oh, what a nice guy. How would you like to be grabbed and choked? Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 29, verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Deja vu, where have you heard of that before? Only a few verses earlier with his first servant asking God. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Same exact thing as the first half of the parable. And by the way, this debt could be paid back in contrast to the first debt to God. Verse 30, but he refused. He went off and had the man thrown into prison, read debtor's prison if you want, until he could pay the debt. Verse 31, not only you, but others see something wrong here. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. I mean, the guy wasn't given any options to pay back the first servant. Couldn't go to the money lenders, couldn't get help from friends, wasn't given time, nothing. So they tell on him, on that second servant. And the first servant who wouldn't forgive but had a second servant thrown into prison. Verse 32. Then his master called the servant, first servant, in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled. And notice that word canceled again. That's through Christ. I canceled all that debt of yours. 10,000 talents worth. Because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Answer, of course. Verse 34, in anger. Uh, God can get angry. Again, that's an aside today, but God is angry about sin. In anger, his master, who stands for God, turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Just one clarifying comment. This parable is not dealing with perseverance of the saints. I mean, the man apparently loses his salvation. You can't lose salvation. First part of the parable says he was forgiven. Does God forgive? People who aren't saved, was this man never saved? That's not the point of the parable. You're going to get to the point soon. 
I do believe in the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. But Jesus uses parables like, I mean, all Semites are good storytellers, but Jesus is the storyteller of all storytellers. And he's using this parable to make the point that comes now in verse 35, which is the only verse of application in this parable. So verse 35, summary and application. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, and Christians, I think, from your heart. Okay, applications. A few of them here. One of them would have to be this. We do well to have a forgiving attitude toward Christians. Now a question arises here, a difficult one, and I want to address it at least briefly. That question is, must we forgive anyone and everyone for anything and everything they do against us? Some people say yes. If you listen to Charles Stanley, as I found out one of you do, a radio preacher, his answer is yes. He says, wait a minute, you think you've sinned against me? You're forgiven before I even hear it. Okay. I don't think so. We've heard talk about brothers, which are Christians, as opposed to neighbors, which are non-Christians, three times in this parable. And I will tell you why I think we don't have to forgive anyone and everything for anything and everything. It's this. God doesn't. Right? The Bible tells us of, for instance, an unforgivable sin, which is usually understood to be long-term resistance to the Spirit. Judgment Day, God will say, to the wicked, depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting punishment. Now, God never asks us to do, in my opinion, what God doesn't do. Others disagree with me. I want you to know that. We're not talking about something reformed here. We're talking about, about Bible interpretation. And I could be wrong on this, but it's a hard question. But I phrased this first application the way I did very carefully. We must have a forgiving attitude. Another way of saying that is be ready, willing, and able to forgive anyone and everything for anything and everything. There's a difference between ready to forgive and actual forgiveness. I see God as ready to forgive, but at final judgment, that actual forgiveness will not be applied to someone. Take my answer for what it's worth. Sometimes we preachers have to give the best wisdom we can. But number one, uh, be ready willing and able 
to forgive others. Next. We do well to forgive as much as possible. Kind of balancing the first one there. I don't want you to go away carrying grudges. Uh, another preacher story. Uh, this, it's come down to us, this story, in several forms. One of them uh, is this. The teacher in the school was trying to teach her students about forgiveness. So she came one day with a bunch of sacks of potatoes, <laughs> probably before the rules of our times. And she asked the students in the Bible lesson, how many of you uh, are having trouble forgiving someone? And of course, um, children can be cruel to children. I used to tell them in church school, don't be cruel in your school to others and don't have these cliques or cliques and all that business and rich and poor. Please don't do that. That's not Christian. Sometimes they listen to me more than other times, but children know what it is to have mean things done and be sinned against and dirt thrown on them too. But anyway, the teacher asked the class, how many of you have trouble forgiving? And many hands went up. And then she said, I'm going to ask each of you students to wear one of these sacks of potatoes around your neck for the rest of this Bible class. Because if you are not ready to forgive, it's like carrying a big sack of something heavy on your back. Good lesson, wasn't it? We must be ready to forgive as much as possible. Application number three, we can forgive. And yeah, forgiving is so hard sometimes. I remember an illustration, Corey Tinboom, her and her sister put in a German prison camp. They got a break because they had fleas and the German guards didn't come in and check them much. So they weren't molested. But Corey's sister was basically murdered in that prison camp. Years later, the German guard became a Christian, the head honcho guard there. Corey saw him at a Christian meeting. He saw her. He recognized her as she did him. He asked for forgiveness. Corey said, I should, but I can't right now. She went to bed thinking that night, yes, I can forgive. She woke up in the morning hating him for murder. Sometimes forgiveness is a long, hard process. But the point I'm making here now is, even when forgiveness is hard, if we understand how God's forgiveness to us is 10,000 talents death, anyone else's sin against us is trivial, compared to ours against God. And in our gratitude to God for his forgiveness to us, we can forgive others. Most of you have been sinned against, some of you grievously so. And it's a struggle to forgive. I'm not simplifying here. But we can. That's one of the best things in this parable right here. So we need then a forgiving attitude. We should forgive as much as possible. Uh, Christians, definitely, brothers are talked about three times in the parable. And we can forgive. Forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, what a terrific parable. What an incredible story. How could Jesus tell such amazing things with all of the literary figures, not a spare word, all standing out, understandable by his audience, understandable by us, even with our hard questions like, forgive everyone and anyone and other hard questions. We stand in awe before this story of today. And our closing prayer is that we may be people with an attitude of forgiveness, ready, willing, and able to forgive, and to forgive as many and as much as possible because we understand how much you forgave us. Amen.